Let's take our Bibles today and turn them over to the book of 2 John. 2 John chapter 1 verse 8. 2 John today. It's toward the end of the Bible. It's all the way back there. If you're in the John in the beginning of the New Testament, you're in the wrong John. You need to get to that one called 2 John. Go. Second John chapter one verse eight. Again, we had a great, great response yesterday. What a wonderful day it was! Again, we came up just a little bit short of the twelve thousand, and we uh, were determined we weren't going to leave without getting it. And before you know it, we're way over. And so uh, it turned out wonderfully. We appreciate and just so thankful for your diligence and just your faithfulness and. Continue to pray, as was mentioned already. Continue to pray. Because uh, it's amazing what God can do with what little we do. If you know what I'm saying. He can take that little bit that we do and really multiply it. And you say, well, just hanging a door hanger on a door isn't a whole lot. Well, God can do a lot with that. So, you go ahead and keep praying. All right, Second John chapter 1, verse 8. Let's go ahead and read that verse there. I'll read aloud. You read with me silently. The Bible says simply this. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. If you'd visit the haven of rest today, you'd go down there and have an opportunity to speak to the men Maybe the ladies that are assembled there, but especially the men, I get a chance to talk to them from time to time. You would find that there are some of them who weren't always homeless. They weren't always down and out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's just in time for me to get a drink. I, I needed that. That was my reminder to get my water. Appreciate that. I would have been embarrassed if I'd have left my phone on me instead I let someone else hold it for me. There we go. That's much better. <clears throat> so if you'd, you'd find that there are some that weren't always homeless. They weren't always down and out. There are men there who have earned college degrees, held good jobs, owned a home, had a wife and children. Theirs was a life like yours and a life like mine. But one day something happened. For whatever reason, they made some bad choices and found themselves involved uh, in often overwhelming vice. What once was a storybook life, the American dream potentially, spiraled out of control leaving them nothing but a memory of what used to be. In our passage, it says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. May I remind you that Jesus Christ is coming back. In the book of John, before he leaves, he speaks to his disciples in verse 1, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, 
I go and prepare a place for you that, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul addressing the Thessalonians says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I mean, the passage looks to an event. Our, our, our text looks to an event that, that is in the future. I mean, not only do we have the return of Christ that is imminent, but then following that return that is for sure going to take place and without doubt is going to happen, We have a judgment that will take place. We're informed and we're instructed as to the nature of that event or that judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13. When the Bible says, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I guess the inference or the the idea that's being cast to us through 2 John that says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. The inference is that one could spend their entire life accumulating rewards, but then make a bad decision by indulging the flesh or forsaking the truth or neglecting Jesus Christ and be found without reward in eternity. To have lived your life and then to throw it all away before the coming of Jesus Christ. See, we will never be homeless as believers. We'll always have a home in eternity without doubt. But we can be spiritually broke and bankrupt when we arrive. And for eternity. See, it's not what you've done before he returns, but what you are doing when he returns that matters most. And we get the idea that somehow we have this bank account and it just grows. And that is true to some degree. But hold on a second. We can ultimately forfeit what we have saved or what we have invested if we fail to continue to the end. If you lived during the tribulation period, you would find that during the tribulation period you must endure to the end in order to be saved. If you turn to the book of Matthew, and we're not going to today because of time, but if you would look at the book of Matthew chapter 24, excuse me, 25, I believe it is, you're going to find that, that there in chapter 24, 25, the Bible says that you must endure to the end, except you endure to the end, you cannot be saved, you won't be saved. 
People get mixed up and they say, oh, see, there you go. You have to live a certain life. You have to do certain things in order to guarantee that you make it to heaven. If you don't live a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way, you'll lose your salvation. You're out of luck. No, as a believer in the New Testament, saved by grace through faith alone, it is simply the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the grace of our Lord himself that saves us. We find no favor. We merit no merit simply because of our actions and attitudes. We are only on our way to heaven because of Christ and His sacrifice. However, if you live during the tribulation period, after the church has been whisked away, after it's been taken out, as according to the First Thessalonians chapter 4 that we just read, you must endure to the end. The very moment, the very moment you take the mark of the beast, the very moment you allow it to be seared upon your forehead or your arm or hand, that moment, that very moment, you'll be damned to hell. The Christian life is not one that is so volatile. We are guaranteed an eternal home. We have a reservation already in heaven. However, your works are not such. Your eternity is secure, but your reward is not. Your reward is something you can lose if you fail to be faithful to the end. You say, well, that's, that's your opinion. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a what? Full reward. Obviously, somebody here is going to lose something that they had wrought and not receive a full reward. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try men who work of what sort it is. In Luke 18, 8, the Bible says, I tell you that we, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I wonder, will he find you faithful? There are many that can point to a time in the past when they used to serve God. They used to pray, they used to read, they used to study and memorize the Word of God. Then the question naturally arises, what are you doing today? Sadly, the response is often heard, very little, if any, now. In the greeting, or in Paul's greeting of the Thessalonians... He states, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. These believers in Thessalonica were busy about the Lord's business. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope was not only recognized and seen in their own community, but also in the regions beyond. For later on in that same chapter, the Apostle Paul states in verse 7, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, you were the examples Every time we pray for you because of your faithfulness and your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of God. But not only do we recognize it and understand it, but all those surrounding you, everyone in the regions beyond, talk about you and your faithfulness. <clears throat> See, God would have all of his children to be likewise. 
He would have all of us be that kind of testimony before our family, our friends, and our neighbors. This Christianity that we speak about, that we claim we possess, this Christianity that we live is not some fly-by-night venture or faddish whim to try on in the dressing room of life. It is to be adorned daily, continually, faithfully, forever. Unfortunately... Many, unfortunately, it seems that a number of people try Christianity on to see if it will better their life. It's kind of like, you know, a new suit. You put it on, do I look better? If it makes me look better, I'll buy it. And it seems that people try Christianity on in order to make their life better or to see if it will help. And again, the real reason for being, quote, saved, unquote, is to be rescued out of their troublesome life instead of being saved from their sinful selves. Now hold on a second. I Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Men and women are anxious to improve their circumstances but are unwilling to improve themselves. Therefore, they remain bound. I believe that circumstances can lead a person to self-examination and even scriptural salvation. No doubt about that. We read about it. We see it, evidenced of it in the Word of God. No doubt. But when a person's only desire in taking Jesus Christ on as Savior is to escape the consequences of their sinful deeds with no intention of forsaking the deeds themselves, they have been deceived. You do not get saved from your circumstances. You get saved from your sin. Thank you, preacher. We appreciate that honesty and direct forwardness. See, God didn't come to earth to simply save your marriage today. Or to restore your family. Or to heal your body. Or to better your life. He came to save your soul. Now, without doubt, the Christian life betters all facets of our lives. We are well aware of that. However, God's divine purpose in coming to earth and providing salvation to you and I was to restore us unto Himself. Not to make our life more comfortable. See, Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you and that's why He died for you. He did not die for you so you could be saved and all your problems would disappear. He died for you and He saved you so that you could fellowship with Him daily. The relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and the outworking of that relationship is what we will be judged on one day at the judgment seat of Christ. We miss it. If we're not careful, we somehow believe that it's about being a good person, doing good things, being nice to people. That is not the goal of the Christian life. Right. 
That is the outworking of the Christian life. The goal is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason why we so quickly depart and take off our Christianity and leave God's house and leave the Word and leave Jesus Christ is because we tried it on and we took Him in hopes He would fix our problems. And we're just downright disappointed with Him. It didn't work, preacher. It didn't work. Hey, that feels pretty good. They might leave that off today. How many are kind of warm? All right. Hold on a second. I've got to tighten my belt loop up. Second John 1.8 says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Listen, I understand there are other complications, there are other situations and circumstances from time to time, but what I find in most people's lives is that they have failed to acknowledge and recognize the real purpose of the Christian life, and that is to glorify God by having a relationship that honors Him. And then when trouble comes into our life, we are whisked away, kind of like a ship on some real wavy waters. Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which have, we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Hey, don't give up on doing right. Be consistent in your faith and practice. Be right with God and be right with man. Be what you ought to be and do what you're supposed to do. Read the Bible. Study the Word. Fellowship with Christ daily in prayer. Reach out to a world that's lost in sin. Be faithful to the end. You know, in the Bible, we're introduced to a number of men and women who are faithful to the end. And we could turn to Hebrews chapter 11, and we often refer to that as the, as the whole of faith in the Bible. We could read about them. However, we really don't have time to speak of each and every one. But let me take just a few moments and mention a few of the standouts tonight, this morning. Number one, I think of Noah and that ark. Look over at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. I didn't intend to emphasize it too awfully much, but let me just ask you a question as you turn there. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about in a moment, but why is it, why do you, you serve the Lord Jesus? Why did you get saved? Why did you get saved? Now, listen, I, I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. I got, I got saved. I didn't want to go to hell. I understand that. But when I got saved, I also recognized why I was going there. Me. I had to fix. This thing right here was all messed up. It was broken. It was dark with sin. Why did you get saved? And why do you serve him? Is it to get the paycheck at the end of the week, so to speak? Or is it simply out of gratitude for what he's already done? 
for who he really is. Let's look at Noah now. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. Notice it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few minutes. Speak to our hearts. And may we, Father, leave differently for having come. God of heaven, thank you for eternity. Lord, help us to live for it. Lord, I just ask, dear God, that you speak to my heart. Let me be your mouthpiece. Stand in my shoes. May I not be in the way of your word working in lives. And Lord, may you bless every listening ear that it might hear with spiritual ears. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in our passage of Genesis, we read about Noah. And we find, obviously, that God was not happy with the outcome of his creation. So God provided Noah with, a, with the blueprints to an ark. A blueprint and an ark that would ultimately deliver him through the greatest and most powerful storm that the world would ever experience. He tells him in Genesis 6 verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and pitch it within and without with pitch, this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in the ark shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Now Noah, he was obedient to undertake this daunting task of building this ark. A daunting task indeed. He and his three sons commenced with the building the very moment that they procured the plans. They began to gather the supplies and the ship, the ark, began to rise from the ground and rise up into the sky. Piece by piece they assembled it. A monstrosity in their community. Sitting right there in the backyard of Noah was this huge ship that was being built and constructed. There it was in plain view. Of family, friends, and neighbors. One can only imagine the bewilderment of those people that were there that day. As they began to watch it rise from the ground up. As they began to see it come into fruition. I can only imagine what they thought to themselves. I mean, this ship was the largest ship built up till the mid-1800s. It was a massive monstrosity. There was no ocean front. There was no lake to launch it out onto. There was simply dry ground. There was nothing around it that would in any way imply that it would ever float. It was just being built in his backyard. The crowd may have turned into a mob at some point, I would imagine. And there they would gather from time to time and express their disapproval. Didn't appreciate the fact that the zoning committee permitted them to build this monstrosity in their backyard. Did you get any special permitting? Did you ever ask us whether or not we thought it would be a good idea? So they began to mock and jeer Noah and his sons. No rain, no water, no, no I mean, uh, uh, even no reason at all for building it as far as mankind was concerned. But Noah pressed on, didn't he? He just kept at it. 120 years 
of building and preparing for one day. If Noah wouldn't have been faithful to the end, you and I may not be here today. You know, the Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was very unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. Noah faithfully and consistently continued his endeavor for 120 years until finally, after all those years of toil, all those years of torment and testing, all those years of labor, the rain fell. It was at that very moment, I mean that very moment, that it became abundantly clear it was worth it all. Well, I'm sure there were times during that 120 years that Noah and his boys sat down and said, Man, I don't know, this is a lot of work and the burden's great. And I mean, we're trying to do all this on our own and we've got some friends that have supplied us some things and we've had to put our monies together and we've had to try to scrape up the nickels and the dimes that we could get to make it happen. And man, I mean, it's a hot day. And there's been some difficult times and when the weather's been bad, we've been out there and when the night has come, we've just finished up. We're from morning till night. Every day, 120 years. Is it worth it? The day the rain came, it was. And we live on this earth and we face some obstacles and some trials and tribulation and we deal with some real dark days in our life. And sometimes as we look over the horizon of our life, we wonder, is it worth the effort? When Jesus Christ splits that sky and calls us home, it'll be worth it then. Noah was faithful to the end. I think of another that was faithful to the end. I think of Jesus Christ on the cross. After being portrayed, betrayed with a kiss, the Savior's placed on trial by a crooked court. They hired men to lie about him. Hired men to stand and and condemn him before the Sanhedrin and before the council. Ultimately, he's sentenced to death by crucifixion. This news delighted. I mean delighted the doctors of the law. It delighted the lawyers of the law. But, But what they didn't know was that it was the very outcome that he himself had before ordained. While they're laughing, he's going, it's all under control, fellas. It's exactly like I planned it. But Jesus, you're going to suffer and die. Jesus, you're going to endure horrible hardship. Oh, Jesus. No, it's just like I planned. After enduring the pain of having his beard plucked out, the Crowns of thorns crushed upon his head. The malicious beatings that he received and the endless mockings that he now was forced to face. He now has to deal with a journey bearing his own cross as he walks past the jeering crowd. He finds his way to Golgotha where he's nailed to the cross and he's displayed naked before 
the crowds. They're laughing, they're mocking, they're making fun of him. He's humiliated in their presence. And amidst that humiliation, shame and suffering and agony, he bears the greatest of all burdens, the sin of the world. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Aren't you glad that Jesus was faithful to the end? The Bible says in John 19.30, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said... It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. If Jesus would have gotten off that cross, you and I would still be bound and enslaved by the God of this world, Satan, and never have escaped the awful penalty of sin. But Jesus was faithful to the end. Just one more that I want to consider. I want to think about Paul, the apostle, for a moment. Take your Bible, look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 6. The apostle Paul has now arrived at the end of his life. He's preparing to take that final journey. And he makes this statement. For I am now, verse 6, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This Paul that we're speaking of, this Paul that wrote this passage, was the one that was at one time called Saul. He was the greatest persecutor of the New Testament church, found in the book of Acts chapter 8. It is possible that he's responsible for bringing more havoc on the church at, and, at, at one point than any other. But following his conversion, he's used to ignite Christianity impact the, and impact the world both then and now. Can you imagine that? He, the Apostle Paul, is referred to as being the apostle to the Gentiles. And he would ultimately become the pen that God would use to write 13 books of the New Testament. Without doubt, Paul considered it an honor to be used of God in such a mighty way. There's no doubt. You need only read his writings, and he does count it an honor. However, let me tell you this. His successes were not realized without great hardship. I want you to take your Bible, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we read through the Bible, sometimes we kind of skim over passages like we'll read now. Oh, they, they, they hit us for a short time, but then we kind of move on, and our mind kind of puts them out of focus. And 
If we're not careful again, we find ourselves looking at our lives feeling as though we alone bear the greatest burdens in the history of mankind. But may I say there's never been a believer on this earth, there's never been one that's been saved and left behind to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who hasn't had to endure some horrible hardships. If you live long enough in this life, you will endure hardness. And you are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verse 23. As he speaks to the Corinthians, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes more measure, above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Did you just did you just get what we just heard there? Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. That's thirty nine. You know why it's thirty nine? There was a they they believed that the fortieth stripe would kill the man, so they only ever gave thirty nine. He received thirty nine. He didn't receive twenty. He didn't receive twenty five. He didn't receive thirty. He received thirty nine. One short of death. Five times. By the very people, mind you, the very people that he once served, the Jews. It is likely that the Apostle Paul was given a decree or was condemned to 39 lashes by someone that he had one time sat down to dinner with, that he had conversed with about persecuting the believer. It's likely it could have been one of his family members or one of his friends that said, you're going to receive 39 stripes just one more time. And one more time became five before it was over with. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one, 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides these things that are without... That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Not only do I have to deal with all of this persecution and outside opposition, but I then have to bear the burden of the church itself, the people of God. I'll tell you what, upon reading that list of things that the Apostle Paul had to endure... I believe it would have been very easy for him to justify giving up. He could have said, now guys, listen, I know, I know, and I understand what what, what Jesus requires of me. But listen, I'm looking around me and I don't see anybody being quite persecuted like I am. I've done all I can to please the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve him with all my heart. I've yielded myself wholeheartedly. I've surrendered myself without reservation. Oh my God, what are you doing in my life? Why is this happening? But he was faithful to the end. 
He remained steadfast and unmovable, so much so that ultimately when he did write to the Corinthians later on in chapter 15, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He had come to some conclusions. He had arrived at that destination and said, I am going to be fixed. I'm not going to move and I'm not going to bend. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was faithful to the end. You know, as the children of God tonight, this morning, I wrote this for the evening, by the way. I'm preaching it this morning. That's why I keep saying that. As the children of God this morning, our reservation is secure. Heaven is something that we receive as a gift. Eternal life is ours because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we cannot allow ourselves to forget about that judgment seat that awaits us. It's not enough to start strong. We must also finish. It was 7 p.m. on October the 20th, 1968. There were only a few spectators remaining in the Olympic Stadium in Mexico City. The winner of the 26-mile marathon had crossed the finish line more than an hour ago. And now there were just a few little stragglers coming across the line from time to time. Just leaving the track, kind of making their way back. The stadium almost empty at this point. And as the last few spectators began to exit that stadium, there were just a few that remained at the entrances and suddenly they heard the sound of sirens. One of the last, the the last runner appeared. One last runner, there he was. The man whose leg was bloody and bandaged was wearing the colors of Tanzania. The Tanzanian runner had had experienced some intense pain. He hobbled around the 400 meter track in the stadium. And and the few remaining spectators began to applaud him and, and cheer him as though he was the winner of the race. After crossing the finish line, he slowly walked off limping never once turning to the crowd that cheered him on there on the corners of the stadium. In view of his injury, having no chance of winning, he quietly made his way toward the locker room. A curious spectator came to him and stopped him and said, I'm sorry, I know you're in pain and I know you're hurting, but I just want to ask you one question. He said, why didn't you quit? You had no chance of winning any medal. You were in severe pain. Why didn't you just quit? That Tanzanian runner looked him in the eye and said, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Believer, God didn't leave you here 
to simply start the race. He left you here to finish it. I know it's difficult and I realize there are obstacles and if we're not careful we can be deceived into believing somehow or even justify our own faithlessness. We can justify our own disobedience. We we can justify our own lack of devotion. We can say, but my my schedule's so filled and my life is so chaotic and, and, and things are so difficult and there are people in that church that just don't understand and there's situations and circumstances that you're not privy to and you don't understand what I'm dealing with and I, I appreciate your concern and I know you mean well, but but I just can't keep going. Look not to yourself look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It's not what you've done before he returns, but what you're doing when he returns that matters most. Make sure when that trumpet sounds, or when you close your eyes in death and meet Christ on the other side. That judgment seat is spread out before you and you stand before Him. Make sure, brother, make sure, sister, that you receive a full reward. Be faithful to the end. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather fellowshipping one with another, but Lord, more importantly, we need to fellowship with you. Father, today we have gathered to meet with you. Holy Spirit of God, drive home this simple truth that we are to be faithful to the end. Lord, I know I'm tempted at times to want to slack up, want to slow down, and Lord, sometimes we just don't want to follow through even, because Lord, life just seems to weigh us down, and Circumstances and situations become so difficult. But Lord, may we not allow anyone or anything keep us from finishing and finishing strong on your behalf. Lord, in this crowd, there may be those that have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Boy, Jesus finished. He said, it is finished. He literally came. He, he lived. He died. He, he followed through. He finished the job, Lord, so that others could be saved. Today, there are those possibly in our midst that have yet to receive and accept Him as Savior. Lord, they will perish without Jesus Christ if they do not trust and accept Him today or at least before they close their eyes in death. Father, please give them the courage and the ability to stand for you today even and accept you. With every head bowed, very quickly, let me ask, is there anyone say, Preacher, that's me. I haven't yet trusted Christ. There's never been a day, a time, a place in my life when I trusted Him, when I really meant business with God, where I truly asked Him to be my Savior, the Lord of my life. There's not been that day, that time. Pray for me, Preacher. With an uplifted hand, will you let me pray for you? That's me. I don't have that settled. I don't know. I don't have it settled. I don't know. Okay, let me ask you now. You're a believer. Be faithful to the end. If Jesus Christ came back this very moment, would he consider you faithful? Would he find faith on the earth? And would he find it in your life 
and in your actions. Why don't we deal with some things today? Why don't we just let God have his will in our life, his way in our life this morning, so that we can be faithful to the end. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed as the pianist begins to play. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the pianist plays. This opportunity is, is extended. Won't you take it? What is it that keeps you from being totally obedient to Jesus Christ? Maybe there's an area of your life that you have allowed to slip. You look back in your prayer life and it seems that the last couple of weeks has been pretty weak. Oh, you might have said a few prayers because you felt guilty for not praying and you just threw out a few things here and there, but you've kind of abandoned that special time with Jesus Christ, that, that scheduled time. Why don't you just come to the Lord and confess it and say, Lord, I, I, I'm going to settle that today. I'm going to settle that today. I want to be right with you. opportunity don't let it pass you by Be faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. If the end was now, would you be faithful? Would you be considered faithful?
He trusted Jesus Christ about a month ago. And he's coming forward to be baptized in accordance to the word of God. Jay, based upon your profession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my brother, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death. Go ahead and sit down. Right back. Ready? Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. You all right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Look over there a second. Look at these guys. Amen. They want to get you there. Good. All right. Way to go, Jay. The water usually, you may be seated for just one second. We got another one. The water today isn't cold. I think I could cook a chicken in it. Wow, I think we're down in the tropics, uh, you know, down somewhere near the equator or something. Well, be very careful, sweetheart. Wouldn't it? There we go. And again, we want to invite you back tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll be back on this evening at 6 o'clock. And so we'll look forward to seeing you again this evening. Brother Fred, why don't you close us? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Again, God bless you. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do thank you for this beautiful day, God, you've given us. Father, you've given us the health to, Father, be in your house this morning. Father, we just thank you, Father, and praise your name, Father, for these two.